This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. Especially early on in the year, you see a lot of the overreactions pouring in after every snap nowadays with social media, but certainly after games on sports talk radio shows such as this one. The Panthers have started 0-2. They're getting set for the LA Chargers on Sunday. But when I just look at what I expected this team to be with the new coaching staff, without any preseason games, with an inverted offseason due to the pandemic. I'm not really surprised they're 0-2. I thought the offense would be further ahead than the defense. We're seeing that all across the league, and I've been impressed with a lot I've, uh, from what I've seen of Joe Brady's offense. We now welcome in the voice of the Panthers, Mick Mixon, who's kind enough to spend time in the triad. So, yeah, I, I think this Panthers team's been as advertised. Do you see it the same way? Yes, I do, young man. I love the triad, and one of the things I love about it is listening to your show. You do a great job, and I agree with with you, Josh. I think that, and I think it's going to be there's going to be a sameness to these games moving forward. And by that, I mean the the analysis of the, the opponents will differ, and and certainly the Panthers aspire to play consistent football. But I think week in and week out, we now know that our preseason suspicions about this team are true. A young defense trying to learn and grow into the gig while the offense, when it is playing well, and I put this to you too, even without Christian McCaffrey, can be a handful. Now, we we will miss Christian McCaffrey. You only get one of these every couple of hundred million births, if that, and Panther fans cannot wait for his return. But Mike Davis is a quality back, and he's good in many of the same ways that McCaffrey is good. Low center of gravity, tough runner, good receiver, good blocker, and blitz pickup, pass pro. So I don't think Joe Brady will have to reinvent the offense or even change the the way he would call a game because the 22 is out for a while. This is going to sound like a knock to McCaffrey, but I don't mean it to sound that way. But as great of a running back as he is, and he is – in my opinion, the best running back in the entire NFL. My theory is when you have a creative enough, a creative enough coordinator like Joe Brady is, you can recreate Christian McCaffrey with screens, with uh, uh, with a bunch of different players getting involved, not just Mike Davis, like you mentioned, but maybe a Curtis Samuel who we saw out of the backfield and Joe just earlier today was saying he wanted to get more involved in the offense. However, I don't think you can do that with a guy like K.K. Short. I don't think you can recreate being big and burly, strength and pushing the pocket, while also being a pass rusher as a defensive tackle, which is rare, uh, very rare to find. Matt Rule told me yesterday he's hopeful K.K. can get back in the lineup. What do you think about Carolina trying to replace size versus trying to recreate all the offensive things that McCaffrey brings. Well, let's talk about the offensive thing first since we've been on that subject. McCaffrey excels at many things. He's just an any-era great football player. But he's spectacular at lining up defenders and splitting a double team. We could watch him frame by frame and stop the tape 
and it'll look like so McCaffrey's running down the field, and it'll look like he's dead to rights. Two defenders, a corner and a safety, corner and a backer, safety and a backer. They got him. They got him hemmed in and bracketed. Well, he'll give one of them a hip, maybe give a little move here or there. A little. He's got this ability to split those two defenders, and and not. That's, I'm not saying fake them both out and run for a touchdown, but he gets the extra yards. He 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 understands the geometry of the game to where he can get between those two guys, and instead of being stopped right there, he goes forward to right there. And I'll and add on that, and I'll add on that, he never seems to take the big hit, doesn't he? He always seems to craft his body in such a way that he avoids, you talk about the geometry of it, that he avoids taking the big blows. Precisely. And and Eckler is good at this for the Chargers. I just Right before you called me, I'm not through with it yet, I'm just getting going, but watch the first quarter against Kansas City, and the CBS crew, Romo, Nance, Wilson, they have no idea that Tyrod Taylor's not going to start the game. They're they're surprised that the rookie, Justin Herbert, is out there. I thought that was – you don't see that every day. Yeah. But it was just such a late scratch. But anyway, watching Eckler, he gets the extra yards too. I mean, just legs pumping, churning, a determination to him. So, 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 Mike Davis will try to recreate some of that. But you're right about KK Short. You co- coaches, you look all looking all around for another big body that can do what he can do. And and this defense is just just going to have to. These young guys are going to have to get better. And then schematically, somehow, the Panthers have to figure out a way to get some pass rush. The voice of the Carolina Panthers, Mick Mixon's with us here on Sports Hub Giant. Earlier, I was talking about something that just bothers me. The idea of the two words game manager being a pejorative. Jake DeLome, who you were working with last year, he came on this show earlier in the year and was talking about Joe Burrow. And without even thinking about it, uh, thinking about it, the first thing he said is the guy is a game manager and he meant it in the most positive way possible. I have my own theories for why. This is seen to be a negative for some, but I'm interested in what you think about it. <laughs> Funny. Uh, certain phrases have come to irritate me greatly. One of them is, it is what it is. Well, we know it is what it is because it isn't what it is, and it can't be what it isn't. So I hate this expression. Another expression I hate is, at the end of the day, and there's nothing technically wrong with that. It's just gets, it just gets used to death. So it's it's an irritant. And then right sistered with that is game manager, particularly when it's sort of a not even a backhand compliment, but almost a slap in the face to a quarterback like Teddy Bridgewater. Game manager game management indicates what to you, Josh. Maybe he doesn't have the ability to make the big play. Maybe he's just trying to get it snapped in 25 seconds, get it to somebody else, not turn it over. Certainly all quarterbacks embody a little bit of that. But uh, two-glove Teddy, uh, he's a winner. He's a quarterback. I mean, he can make plays in a variety of ways. And, uh, and so, uh, so I, th- I wouldn't be shocked to, 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 have, uh, to have Matt Rule have to really choose his words carefully when he's asked about this in a public setting, to not just boil over a little bit and, and run hot when he's asked about Teddy being a game manager. I think a lot of it has to do with fantasy football where so many people play and they if you're a quarterback that doesn't score them a lot of points 
they don't really see you in high value. It's kind of why I think a lot of people have a higher opinion of Matthew Stafford, let's say, than Alex Smith, even though Matthew Stafford's like 15 games under 500 and Alex Smith is 30 games above 500 and has won several playoff games in his career. You know, I mean, what is ultimately the goal to put up gaudy numbers or to win the football game? Have you ever once considered playing fantasy football? Never, never once in my life. I, uh, I don't try to export my way, but, but, but my way is, 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 uh, my, one of my rules, mixed rules for health, happiness, and success in life. I do not, I've never Googled myself. I never will. I'm not on social media. I don't believe in slugging it out with people I don't know who have uh, more time and more of an appetite for discourse than me. And I do not play fantasy football. I admire people who do. It looks like fun, but I just never, I, I, I prefer reality football. I think you are, you're someone I really admire. You're very wise in some ways. And one of those ways I think the more and more I interact with it is not being on social media where I watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix last night. It's growing in popularity. If you have Netflix, I strongly suggest watching it. And it speaks to the perils of social media and how these developers in Silicon Valley are trying to manipulate people and get people spending all their day on the phone. Um, tell me that I don't think I've ever asked you this question. I know you're on so you're not on social media. Why aren't you? <laughs> because my life, I believe that the quality of my life will not be enhanced in any way by me being out there on social media. First of all, no one really care. No one cares whether uh, I just got the oil changed in my truck or, or whether I rotated the tires on this sedan or whether I put a timing belt in this, this, this other vehicle I'm wrenching on or I just cut the grass or a puppy just got a trim. I mean, nobody cares about the details of my life. Number two, scarcity breeds momentum. It's one of the oldest principles in, in, of human interaction. Behaviorists have long understood that scarcity breeds momentum. I would rather have people wonder if they care, which I don't think they do, I would rather have them wonder, I wonder what Mick thinks about this election or House Bill 2 or evolutionary biology or uh, transcendental meditation, anything. Then I would, me try to be out there urinating on every bush, marking my territory to try to, to, try to tell people what I think. When people hear my voice, I want them to think Panther football. And then if, if uh, in addition to that, they think he, he married way above himself and by all accounts he seems to be a halfway decent guy, then I'll celebrate that. And the equation needs to go no further than that. I can attest to that. And, uh, yeah, I hope Don's doing well. I look forward to hearing you and Zoke and Kirk Coleman and the gang on Sunday getting set for the Chargers in the middle of the afternoon. Thank you so much for doing this, Mick, in the triad. We'll catch up soon. All right, I'll see you on uh, any social media. I'm going to come coming out with that next week. <laughs> You're the best, man. We'll see you. See you, man. That is Mick Mixon. Maybe a little bit later on, Sawyer, we could actually talk about the social dilemma. Have you seen it yet? I have not. I think your tweet of it was the first I'd heard of it. All right. Strongly suggest it. It has me terrified.
but maybe we can get to that at a later point. Coming up, the amazing story about how Taco Bell may have saved the most beloved Panther's life. This is a Thursday Drive. Sometimes all you have to do is be who people in the audience expect you to be. And if Sawyer Dillon is filling in for Robert Walsh, you know you're going to get Justin Timberlake on the show. How many times today are we going to hear JT? Uh, I was going to keep it kind of low, just twice. Just twice. Just twice. Robert came in after you filled in last time and said, why are there 10 Justin Timberlake songs in the computer from just a three-day stretch? And I was like, man, Sawyer was just getting weird, man. Speaking of that type of tone, I think people expect the John Gruden impression out of me anytime it's applicable. I think it's a good impression. It's just limited. I'm good at reading actual quotes that Gruden is saying, and he's talking about Cam Newton, and he's doing so in the most Gruden way possible. This is not something I made up. This is something that Gruden has said in the last few hours about Cam. Quote, I haven't seen many guys walk through the door that do it like Cam. I call him Slam. Slam Newton. That was the nickname I gave him. He's a power forward playing quarterback, man. I refuse to believe you just read that. You had to have written that. Oh, it's true. It's true. John Gruden said it. You can find it on my Twitter account at Josh Graham Radio. I think he actually went on here. Here's more from Gruden. Quote, Cam looks like the usual Cam. He's a threat to do a lot of different things. That seems like something you would expect. It's a tough operation. It's always when you play Cam Newton and New England Patriots. And now... They've joined forces. It's double trouble for every defensive staff, man. (laughs) Oh, there's one more quote I forgot to get to here from John Gruden. Cam Newton's a scary mother bleeper, man. Uh, You could have said Slam Newton in a mock Gruden (laughs) Script and I would have completely Gruden throwing nicknames out there is the best thing possible. Until I heard this sound from the 10 Questions with Kyle Brandt podcast, where he was interviewing Steve Smith, and Smitty was describing how working at Taco Bell while he was playing ball in junior college about 20 years ago actually saved his life. It's not him saying, Oh, the values I learned, it's none of that garbage. No, it's an actual story, an actual anecdote for how Taco Bell, working there, saved Smitty's life. Again, this is from the 10 Questions with Kyle Brandt podcast. I know this is a shocker, but I got in a fight um, in practice with a teammate in junior college. Uh, We we squared up, and he took that L. and as, as, as the folks say today, no cap, right? He, he got mollywopped. But what happened was Friday, I didn't make walkthrough because I was working as usual. But old boy that I got in a fight with, he was waiting in my locker area with a pistol. And if I would have came in, he would have shot me. But the fact of the matter is, I didn't show up that day because on Fridays, I didn't have to do the walkthrough because I was working. 
So it's, it's kind of crazy how all of that intertwined where some people look at it as a, as a, as a curse, you know, you got to work fast food. But for me, when I really look back at it, it was a gift. Before I actually talk about the pluses of working in the food service industry, I love Steve Smith more than some family members. Just the way he talks, I don't think there's anybody better at trash talking. Can you just isolate the portion where he's talking about what actually happened in the fight? Because usually, even if you were someone who fought a lot, you you don't talk about fights 20, 30 years ago unless you're actually a an MMA fighter or a boxer so disparagingly of the other side. Usually, most people say they're not proud of some of these fights they got in. No, Smitty made sure to let you know how the fight went. We, we squared up, and he took that L. Um, and as, as, as the folks say today, no cap, right? He, he got mollywopped. Got mollywopped, and then he called him old boy. Big fan of that. Um, I'm interested, Sawyer. Have you ever been in a fight? Uh, no, I wouldn't say anything you consider a fight. Maybe like some pushing, some shoving, but not surprising. No fights. You with your big rim glasses and how many pairs of Jordans do you own? Oh man, it's, it's up there. Yeah. You Justin Timberlake listen, uh, listening, saltine cracker eating Sawyer Dillon watching soccer while doing the show. Yeah. I'm not surprised you haven't been in a fight. I have told the story a handful of times. I've been in a few fights, one of which ended in my apartment when I got choked out by somebody who was my roommate because I turned down his music. He, well, actually, does it count that you got choked out if you acted like you passed out so that way they would stop choking you? Does that count as a choke out? You were going to get choked out regardless, so yeah. Well, no, I mean... That's the question. Like, if I actually didn't get, if I didn't actually pass out by way of stranglement, but I pretended to, does that count on the books as a chokeout? Because it's you, yes, it does. All right, thanks. 336-777-1600. I would like an official ruling on that. This is an observation I've had in my years of being on this planet. The most decent people I know seem to have worked in the food service industry. I don't know if you can relate to this, but there's a certain level of humility you have when you're having to prepare other people's food. Also considering how people generally treat those in the fast food industry, especially. Like, you know, you you ever... I'm not sure. Have you ever worked fast food before, or have you ever worked at a restaurant? I actually worked uh, down the street at Fitz on Main, the little tiny restaurant. Yeah, in Kernersville. Yeah. I I worked at Quiznos Subs a little bit when I was when I was growing up, so I I know what it was like, and it always bothered me to see how inhumane some people treated people preparing their food. For one, these are people preparing your food. You might want to treat those people well or else something might happen to your food, or you might want it to be prepared in the best way possible. Being nice could potentially assist you in that. But secondly, there are just so many people that look down on those in the food service industry. 
So treat those people well to the point where Robert and Darren, they're making fun of me when I'm ordering food at a fast food uh, situation. And they're saying I'm being too kind. Like I'm being too friendly to the people serving my food. As if that's such a thing. I'd rather be too kind than be inhumane mean guy. Right? Because there's a lot of that out there. If you work at a fast food restaurant or have done so at some point in your life, that's not something you forget. And I think those values lead to people being more decent to one another because they've experienced what it's like when you're not. It's almost another thing that I've noticed. This is completely unrelated to the food part. Most people I like, most of my friends most people I consider, I'll use the word again to be decent, had pets growing up. Have you ever met someone who doesn't have pets or didn't have pets as a kid? Not a dog, not a cat, not a turtle. I think the only people I have have been like allergy related, not like any Grinches that right. just don't want any I think pets. there's something lost in that. I've met people who, again, no, just by choice, didn't have pets as a kid. And those people tend to be less empathetic, let's say, than those who do. Because odds are if you had a pet or had pets growing up, you dealt with your pet dying at some point. And that's something you need to learn about. How do you handle loss? You know? So I when I look when I hear Steve Smith talking there, it just doesn't surprise me at all. But I would like to hear, I wish Kyle had followed up asking, what's your best story about the point where you almost blew up at Taco Bell. Like, you're running the drive-thru, you're dealing with the customer who's just being the worst, Steve Smith, who's punching Ken Lucas at practice and getting into fights with all of his teammates. What is the time he almost punched somebody else at the Taco Bell? That's what I would have liked to know. I've been working on a project that is really depressing that I would like to let you in on. After watching the Miami Heat last night go up three games to one on the Boston Celtics, I started looking at the last five NBA drafts where the Charlotte Hornets were picking, and I put together an all-Hornets oversight team. As if to say, players that were taken in the next five picks or fewer. After Charlotte picked. Guys they could have had if they had a good scouting department and, you know, saw some of the promise in some of these players. Tyler Hero obviously comes to mind, but this is a pretty deep list, Sawyer. So I put together the starting five here. You ready to hear them? Let's do it. Let's All right. Depressed. Yeah, because you're a Charlotte Hornets fan. At point guard, I'm coming out here with Shea Gilgis-Alexander who two years ago, like Kobe Bryant, was drafted by Charlotte but traded for Miles Bridges. They, they drafted him for the Clippers who were, who were picking next, and then the Hornets obviously took Miles Bridges. So that's your point guard. Shooting guard, Devin Booker, 2015 draft. The Hornets took... Frank Kaminsky, fresh off that national title runner-up to Duke. They took Frank Kaminsky. Justice Winslow was taken right after that. 
Devin Booker was taken 13th. And the reason why Devin Booker wasn't seemed to be as high as a prospect, well, Carl Anthony Towns was the best player on that Kentucky team. There were a lot of dudes on that team. Trey Lyles was on that team. A lot of guys who were strong for Kentucky. That was one of the best teams of the decade. Uh, just blowing that lead against Frank Kaminsky and company. So Michael liked Kaminsky. Rich Cho liked Kaminsky. They took him over Devin Booker. Booker's my shooting guard. Small forward, Donovan Mitchell. Connor O'Neill was talking about this from the Winston-Salem Journal on social media. Is there a player in the ACC that you watched that you didn't think was that great and then turned out to be great in the NBA? Like, you watch him in college and you're thinking, ah, okay, this guy's pretty good. But you're never thinking, NBA superstar Donovan Mitchell. He would qualify for that from Louisville. I I assume a lot of people who follow... Other teams in the ACC, when John Collins faced their team, they probably didn't think he'd be a really good player. But aside from that, I don't think there's anybody like Donovan Mitchell that comes to mind. The Hornets, this was the 2017 draft, took Malik Monk 11th overall. Donovan was taken 13th overall out of Louisville. Power forward, Pascal Siakam, 2016 draft. The Hornets, they took Malachi Richardson to trade to the Sacramento Kings. Pascal was taken 27th in that draft. So five picks later, the Raptors late in the first round got Pascal Siakam. Starting at center, Bam Adebayo. Again, 2017, the Hornets pick Malik Monk. Robert, is it, not Robert, Sawyer, is it fair to say you'd rather have Donovan Mitchell or Bam Adebayo over Malik Monk at this moment? I mean, that's a tough Tough choice, but yeah, yeah I think I think yeah. so. Bam was taken 14th that year. And my bench, again, this is just the last five years. Tyler Hero, last year's draft, was taken 13th. The Hornets went with P.J. Washington 12th. Michael Porter Jr. was taken 14th in 2018. Miles Bridges, again, taken 11th. So there's your seven-man roster. That team's a whole lot better than the Charlotte Hornets. Like, that team might be in the conference finals right now. The all-Hornets oversight team of Shea Gilgis-Alexander at the one, Devin Booker the two, Donovan Mitchell the three, Siakam and Bam Adebayo up front, Tyler Hero and Michael Porter Jr. coming off the bench. It's not bad. You are listening to WSJS Winston-Salem, WCOG Greensboro, WPCM Burlington, W... We're so glad you're along with us on a Thursday drive where I want to spend some time on Teddy Bridgewater. See, Teddy goes by many names. Clinton Yates was here earlier in the week calling him Theodore Football, which I like a lot. Teddy Two Gloves is a popular nickname, and a tag he's commonly received the last few years is Game Manager. Now, I've never understood why Game Manager is a knock on quarterbacks, but I have two theories. For one... I think football is the most popular sport that very few people understand what's actually happening. And to further that point, like just look at the way coaches and players talk about it versus the way that fans talk about it. It sounds like two different languages, and it's because while it's entertaining to watch, most people watching it don't know how the sausage is made. That's why... I don't even pretend to be an expert at the X's and O's. I don't pretend to be that because 
The more and more I interact with coaches and talk to them, the more I learn about what's actually happening on the gridiron every single Saturday or every single Sunday. But I actually think the game manager put down actually has more to do with fantasy football. You look at the people who are good at fantasy football. They're not always the quarterbacks that win a ton of games. If a guy doesn't produce putting up these high fantasy scores, they get this label of game manager. It's why Matthew Stafford gets more shine than Alex Smith or Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy, he threw for 370 yards last week. He was awesome. He's fourth in the NFL right now in passing yards through two weeks. He also is 22-14. and 14. That's his career record as a starter. He led Minnesota with a bad O-line in 2015 to the playoffs, and they should have won that playoff game if not for Blair Walsh missing a chip shot kick right there in the cold. Alex Smith, he's the definition of air quote game manager. He's nearly 30 games over 500 as a starter. Number one pick, and everybody's crushing him. They, oh, this guy. Uh, the, the 49ers should have taken Aaron Rodgers. What a mistake. This guy's a bust. This guy's not meeting expectations. This guy hasn't won a Super Bowl. He's won several playoff games, 30 games over 500. You know the winning thing? He's really good at that. You know who isn't? Matthew Stafford. And he doesn't get bashed for it, and he doesn't get the game manager tag because he puts up a, bun a bunch of numbers on fantasy football. Now, I used to love playing fantasy football. That's how I got into football, I think, a long time ago. But after about a half dozen years, I realized, yeah, I don't really like following it week to week. I forget to start somebody. Somebody has a bye week, and I have them in the lineup. I realize I only enjoy coming up with creative team names and drafting the teams, so I stopped playing. I was worried initially, am I going to be less into the football season without playing fantasy football? And then it turns out, no, I just love football, and I'm going to watch it regardless, and I actually found myself enjoying it a lot more without having to worry whether or not someone gets enough targets at wide receiver for the Falcons. You could tweet the show at SportsUpDryad, 336-777-1600 is the phone number. What do you make of the tag game manager that's attached to guys like Teddy Bridgewater and has been that way for the last decade at least? The title, it sounds like a compliment, doesn't it? <laughs> when I hear game manager, without the football context, that sounds like a good thing. Oh, this guy's organized. He knows what he's doing. He's a manager. He's in a leadership position. It's almost like 2020 being the year of social uh, justice activism and initiatives being put out there in sports. The most common jab at those people the label that gets thrown out there the most, oh, you're just a social justice warrior. Why are you saying something that sounds cool? Like, oh, you're just a social justice warrior. No, I'm not. I'm not an SJW. Uh, it sounds cool. It sounds like I, I got shoulder pads on with spikes sticking out of them, like those old Oakland Raider fans that are now relics because they're in Las Vegas. Sounds like something that a tough person would be, a social justice warrior. But it's used disparagingly. It's a pejorative, just like game manager is. I brought this up to Jake DeLome earlier this year. 
and Jake, who's on the Hall of Fame ballot this year, he was talking, I think, about Joe Burrow because he's a Louisiana guy. He has a lot of ties to LSU, even though he went to Louisiana Lafayette. And he, without any ounce of sarcasm, without any (laughs) sign of irony, when he was talking about Burrow and what made him great, he went to game manager. And this is why. The greatest compliment to me that I can give a quarterback as a game manager. That's one of the greatest compliments you could ever give a quarterback. You manage the game every play. You touch the ball every play. You decide what protection you're going to be in. You change the mic declaration of the protection. You change the run fits. You change which way you're going to go with the run. I mean, you're reminding the guys in the huddle about the down and distance, about depth on yardage. When it's under four minutes to go and you have the lead, you're reminding them to stay in bounds, two hands on the ball. You're following the ball. I mean, that's a game manager. I mean, that's 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 what you're supposed to do. That's the greatest compliment you can ever give a quarterback. That's exactly what I'm saying here. It should be a compliment. A game manager shouldn't be a negative. It should be a compliment. Eli Manning, oh, he's a game manager. He won a ton of Super Bowls. I'd prefer Eli Manning over Baker Mayfield. I'd prefer Teddy Bridgewater over Matthew Stafford. I'd prefer... Control, I'd prefer coachable, I'd prefer reliable, which are all traits that these quarterbacks have over the gunslinger types any day of the week, even the best all time. Give me Joe Montana over Dan Marino, give me Peyton Manning over John Elway, Tom Brady over Brett Favre, give me Drew Brees over Aaron Rodgers. I'll take the reliable, I'll take the responsible, I'll take the game manager over the gunslinger any day of the week. I don't think it should be a pejorative for Teddy Bridgewater, the air quote game manager. Let's go to Mark and Greensboro who wants in on this. Game manager. Why is this a negative term, Mark? Uh, I, I don't. I was telling Sawyer, um, at the beginning of his career, Tom Brady was the ultimate game manager. Those three or four Super Bowls that they won, they won because he didn't turn the ball over. And they ran the ball, and they had a great defense. I mean, they had receivers called Troy Brown and David Patton. Uh, I think Ben Coates might have been there. I'm thinking maybe that's a few books. That's a really good point you bring up, Brady. And here's the question I have for you. Didn't it seem like to you that when the discussion was Peyton versus Brady, Peyton was seen to be the better quarterback in many people's minds because he was the number one pick. He was the prototypical quarterback. He didn't need the coaching or the offensive coordinator that lit, that that tried to tailor things in such a way that you need a game manager that's limited to win football games. Yeah, I mean, I I agree there, and I think that's just perce- really perception. If you yes. talk to like real fo- football folks, they're going to tell you that there's not much difference between Tom Brady and, and Peyton Manning to begin with. I mean, if you gave Tom Brady the opportunity to call his own plays, which I'm sure he did to some to some extent, New England had had that kind of, uh, you know, uh, autonomy. But at the same time, it's the other parts. Like, you can't win football games. Like, you run to Matt Stafford, and I'll say this. I mean, he got, he got drafted by the Lions. I mean, that's like that's like the losing lottery to begin with. Same with Baker Mayfield. I mean, you go to these crap organizations, and then you look at Russell Wilson, third-round pick. He goes to Seattle, solid organization, good uh, defense, great coach. It's 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 a crapshoot. So Teddy B's been in some really good situations with the Vikings and the Saints, and now we'll see with Carolina. I mean, I don't know if he's going to win a lot of games, but he's going to 
keep them around a little bit. Yeah, I, I'm I'm right there with you. I'm not giving I'm not counting out Teddy Bridgewater. Thanks for the call, Mark. And I think he's a guy who could be a franchise quarterback someday. I want to transition things to college basketball, though, because don't look now, Sawyer. We are two months and one day away from the college season tipping off. So I think it's about time we start setting expectations for the ACC Big Four, the Deeks, the Blue Devils, the Wolfpack, the Tar Heels. Even though Steve Forbes, he's had a big week in recruiting, I want to take a look at the Tar Heels just because you're a North Carolina basketball fan. I want to indulge you. You're filling in for Robert today. They bring in a number two recruiting class with six new incoming players. Expectations, they're sky high for a potential bounce back season as they normally are. However, my concern is that North Carolina is too freshman reliant for this year. And let me explain. This is especially a bad year for North Carolina to be built this way. First off, they're behind. They're behind the same way that football is. You have these practices over the summer. You're limited in what you can do. You're trying to be safe. It's better to be more experienced than to be inexperienced in 2020. Roy Williams even said as much, talking to Brendan Marks of The Athletic yesterday, saying, quote, we're behind. We're behind where we would be because normally we would have four pretty significant workouts during the summer and try to show them what practice would be like. And we do one uh, we do one a week for four straight weeks, and we get a lot of individual work done as well. We haven't been able to do any of the five-on-five full practices just because of what's going on in the world. Also, the non-conference is usually the time that teams get ready to win. Younger teams, they get the experience. So by the time you get to a conference season, you're humming. You're ready to go. You got chemistry. It takes more time with younger teams. Any coach will tell you that. This year, what type of non-conference is there going to be? I don't know. Is there going to be much of a non-conference? I don't see many lollipop cake shows here for North Carolina. So it's probably going to be difficult. It's probably going to be more conference games on the schedule. Then you look at the guys who are coming back. (laughs) See, Roy, last year was his only losing season he's had as North Carolina's coach. Also as Kansas's coach, too, for boot. uh, To boot. So the guys who are coming in, they're learning from in the backcourt, Andrew Playtech and Anthony Harris. With all due respect to those guys, they're not exactly Joel Berry, Theo Penson, or Danny Green. They're not. So (laughs) I don't know if those are the ones who are going to be leading them along. Armando Baycott, he's in the post and is... That's a guy who's going to be asked to to serve a little bit of a leadership role alongside Garrison Brooks. I'm interested to see. The freshmen, they're going to be the group asked to solve the shooting issue. Anytime a North Carolina fan comes up to me and says, we're going to have a big bounce back year, we're going to be awesome in 2021. All right, who's your best shooter? If the answer to that question is Andrew Playtech, you're in bad shape. Oh, it's Anthony Harris. Okay, you saw six games before he tore his ACL. Someone else who also had a knee injury in high school. I don't know if that's the guy you want to lean on going into Cameron Indoor Stadium. Then I hear about these freshmen. Oh, R.J. Davis, he looks great at practice. He looks great. Caleb Love, he could be the part. Oh, these guys are going to be awesome. And maybe they will. But there's no more B-Rod. There's no more Cole Anthony. There's no more Christian Keeling. These are your best three-point shooters from last year. 
they, they're going to get looks. When you have a post that's as good as North Carolina's is, you're going to get opportunities, but they had opportunity last year, and they just weren't knocking down shots. I'm going to have the wait and approach, wait and see approach here, I should say. Last year, I got dogged by North Carolina fans saying, eh, I don't know about this team. I want to wait and see what Cole Anthony looks like. Oh, he's going to be a first-round pick. He's going to be great. He's going to lead the Tar Heels. He's going to lead the ACC. Granted, he got injured, but he never really looked like that. He never did. And Baycott, oh, he's a top 25 player, but he never really looked like a one-and-done player. Sawyer, this is the part where you play the Baycott cut. I was just waiting for it. And when you don't deliver immediately, I get anxious. Then there's this. If North Carolina were, was to win the ACC this year, Got to make sure I get the subject-verb agreement correct there. This is English 101. If they were to win the ACC regular season title, it would be unprecedented for a freshman-reliant team that's going to be as freshman-reliant as this Tar Heel group to win it. It's just never happened. Like Duke has all these great one-and-done teams. Won a title with it in 2015. Gotten close to the Final Four several other times. Have they ever won the ACC regular season with one of those teams? No. Their last ACC regular season title was 2010. The next year, Kyrie Irving arrives, and then you got Austin Rivers, and then it's Julio Okafor and Rodney Hood, and then it's the team that won in 2015 the national title but didn't win the ACC. So it's going to be really hard for them to do so, especially, again, in 2021, where you're not going to have a, a conventional non-conference schedule to ramp things up, and the offseason already has you playing from behind. We're now set to do some comparing with Darren, but before we do so, we've been plugging the fact that he does a USA Baseball podcast called Covering the Bases that you need to check out. Darren, am I in a position where we can promote or talk about an exciting triad-based product that you're working on? <laughs> um, it's it's a good question. Um, I We can vaguely. It, the, the details are not ironed, but I, I, I can say that I was seated in the same room with one legendary coach, Tubby Smith, recording something of a, a contemporary audio format recently for said project. <laughs> Yeah, I think there are enough clues in there. In fact, I don't even right? think is there that, were clues. Without without explicitly saying it. <laughs> yeah, I think you actually just said it, and you just said so in ways that required bigger words in order to do so. Let's get straight into comparing with Darren then. Sawyer Dillon, he procrastinates, he struggles <laughs> when it comes to putting these together. I told him about it around 1.30 today and then asked him, hey, what are we going to rock with with comparing well, around 4 o'clock in the afternoon? And you said, oh, I've got about two of them written. <laughs> Sound about right, Sawyer? That sounds about right. But right now at 5.30, we have all five of them. So we're going to start out. Matters. Yeah, we're going to start out with Darren. Darren, I would like you to uh, compare coaches getting fined for not wearing masks on the sideline to putting plastic covering on your living room furniture. <laughs> um, 
and, and look, and I, I'm I'm all about like trying to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. And I am guilty of in in certain instances where it probably really isn't doing much. Like for instance, I'm outside. I'm by myself and not in a, a, a crowd of people, but I like the idea that from a distance people are seeing me wear a mask. Um, I, the the mask thing with the coaches, like, look, it, the NFL wants them to be good stewards of the practice, so I get that. But at the same time, the second they get in those locker rooms, they're breathing in the same space as all of their other their players who while being on top of each other, are not wearing masks. Again, I want them to wear the masks, but uh, it's just there's some weird inconsistency. For for instance, the players have the face coverings that go underneath their helmets, and they can pull up like Shaw's. Like, I don't know why those aren't required. Um, This is not good comparing because I haven't even gotten to the covering on on the furniture. Um, One just doesn't seem as... as, uh, harmful overall because of the covering on the furniture you can just uh lift that off whenever you you feel the need to um but nobody uses it maybe that's the comparison maybe Ooh, that's it. Nobody, boy no coach is actually putting a covering over their their face that was rough so we're right. off to a rough start on comparing here what I do you know, got sawyer for me my apologies all right josh i need you to compare b dot as the hornets play-by-play announcer to dick pepperidge from semi-pro yeah, we have. We're trying to push for B. Dot to be the voice of the Charlotte Hornets because I think you can agree with this, Darren. There is a lot of room for creativity in radio play-by-play for the NBA, NHL, and Major League Baseball, considering they have the local, regional TV announcers that do all the games anyway, and that's how most fans watch it. I mean. There's room for entertainment value and some creativity and broadcasting. Also, diversity, not a bad thing either. That yeah, I think 100%. Play-by-play needs. So, BDOT is a guy we're pushing for that. Um, who is it? What's his name? Dick Pepperidge? That's it. That's the guy's name. Uh, I think both would be very happy about a fourth-place finish. I think <laughs> if the Hornets ever finished fourth place in the NBA it would be the first time ever they were in the top four in the NBA because after the Clippers which have had the longest drought of not being into the conference finals still that way because they did not beat the Nuggets in game seven when you look at NBA NFL or major league franchises that haven't been to a conference championship the Hornets are the next worst 30 years been 30 years the Hornets have existed never been to a conference final so yeah both will be pretty excited about fourth place hey if Dot were to be positioned in that role he wouldn't have to broadcast a, a bear fight for halftime interview. you don't know that would he? you don't know that <laughs> Spectrum there's Center. plenty of room for stuff like that yeah right? <laughs> get on it we'll see if Ashboro can send a bear to Spectrum Center <laughs> And we'll see if we'll make that happen. All right, Darren, I need you to compare Tyler Hero to Pablo Sanchez from Backyard Baseball. Oh, man. You know what? I was so ready to to praise Tyler Hero and his performance. What was it? 37 points at just 20 years old. But you guys know, like, Pablo's the GOAT. Pablo is 
the GOAT to me. So I, there's, there's not going to be much of a comparison here. Although I will say, Hero, better at basketball. If you've played all of the backyard sports games, Pablo is legendarily good at baseball. You missed the most obvious thing that you can do here, Darren. He's, he's extremely fast and very good as a football player. But basketball, not his strength in those games, in the backyard games. They're so both. The better, the better they're what, both. What are you going for here? They're both heroes. <laughs> sure, whatever. Uh, Sawyer, you're the you're the video game guy. Like you, you stream yourself playing video games to to make some cash on the side. We send people from our audience to watch you playing. Where where can people find you? Uh, Twitch.tv slash SawJ. Okay. Uh, who is the most unstoppable sports video game character of all time? Is it Bo Jackson way back when in Tecmo Bowl? Is it is it Mike Vick in Madden 04? Is it Jeremy Shockey in NFL Street, him and Ricky Williams? Or is it, in fact, Pablo Sanchez? The one that I can remember from older sports games, uh, it was Michael Vick, I think, in Madden. That was kind of like... Or Madden 04, now, for sure. This one is kind of a newer one. Um, 2K, like 18, Golden State Warriors. You don't really lose Scary. a game. You could be the worst player, and you're probably going to win a game if you choose them as your team. Darren, who comes to mind? Uh, Mike Vick, Madden 04, 100%. Okay. Man. And the thing, the thing with that game is that he was so good as a running quarterback that in order to make it proportional – they bumped up everyone else's attributes to where other quarterbacks who are not good and have no business being outside the pocket could actually run a little bit. That's right. Like you I could run with Peyton Manning. I forgot. Yeah, Peyton Manning and Rich Gannon even of the Raiders. You could you could scramble out of the pocket and make some gains with those guys. How about so, yeah, that? Mike Vick was insane. We are doing comparing with Darren. Darren Vots with us. Sawyer, what's next? All right, Josh. I need you to compare the Arizona Cardinals this season to your Jordans that you're wearing right now. Um, well, they are Arizona Cardinals red. I guess I would say Chicago Bulls red, but they're the same colors that the Cardinals have. And probably the first two weeks, it's very exciting. But over the long play, maybe a little too hyped. That's, I think, what the story is going to be for the Arizona Cardinals. I I hype these shoes. Your shoes have played professional baseball instead. <laughs> uh, my shoes would not look as good on a baseball field. Just like, although, although, just like the I'm guy for the Cardinals. This is another tangent. This is another tangent. I've seen my fair share of red Jordans on a baseball field because... As you know, I grew up in Virginia. We used to play baseball against Oak Hill Academy, like that Oak Hill Academy. And I played against Casey Rivers and Josh Smith, among some others, in baseball. And it was just something for them to do in the spring, right? But I'll never forget the images of those guys with their white and red Jordans, like their team basketball shoes, probably, you know, presumably from a year or two prior on the baseball field, like on an all-dirt infield. They were wearing those. All right. Very similar to yours, actually. Sawyer, close us out. All right, Darren, I need you to compare Josh's hatred of fantasy football to people who complain about Christmas music before Thanksgiving. Just keep it to yourself. Like, 
let let don't steal people's shine. I do a sports talk radio show for God's sake. Like Christmas music prior to maybe the week or two before Christmas annoys me too. But if if it's what's going to make some, especially good God in 2020, if that's what's going to make somebody happy and turn their mood around and feed them the serotonin they've been lacking over the past six or seven months, yeah, just let them have it. All right. That's been comparing with Darren. Darren Vot's with us here on Twitter at Darren Vot. There might be a triad-based product that he's going to have put out involving Tubby Smith at High Point sometime soon. Sometime soon, maybe the next time we chat, we'll have more to say about that. That's pretty exciting. In the meantime, if you didn't listen to Jim Abbott last week, shame on you on the Covering the Bases USA Baseball podcast, Darren Host. But I'm saying that as a segue to the Major League Baseball season ends this weekend? What? <laughs> like, I, I swear, Darren, I learned Wednesday, or I guess Tuesday, what the playoff when you format start finding was. out what team's magic numbers are. Right, right? well, it's no. Like, oh, they, they I, clinch if they win this game. I, I, I swear I didn't even know what the playoff format was this week. Eight teams per league. What are we doing here? Uh, I mean, the seven innings for double headers. It's all very strange. It hurts my heart. Baseball's been hard to watch without the fans because it's just so obvious there are no fans compared to some of the other sports that have done a better job masking it. Uh, I don't know much about the season other than the Dodgers, they're good, thumbs up. The Red Sox, they're not. Give me something that would qualify as the best story heading into the playoffs. Uh, I think leaps and bounds, it's the San Diego Padres who are playoff bound for the first time in a long time. They've got the, the game's bright, shining new star, Fernando Tatis Jr. They traded for a pitcher, Mike Clevenger, to head up their rotation. Even though he's hurt, it doesn't look as bad as they originally thought it was going to be, so they'll be fine for the playoffs. Um, San Diego, for sure, is is the story of, of the Major League Baseball season thus far. But like you said, the Dodgers are really good. I like the Oakland A's, which is, it's funny because that's all a bunch of West Coast teams and uh, maybe doesn't give as many listeners a chance. Uh, optimism that they're going to be drawn to the Major League Baseball playoffs. But, hey, the Braves are really good, too, and they have a legitimate shot to make it to the World Series. All right. Darren Vaught, thanks for doing this. We'll talk next week. Cool. Sounds good, guys. That is Darren Vaught spending time with us as he does each week with comparing with Darren. How can you compare somebody who's a Scrooge about fantasy football to somebody who you know, is complaining about the fact that there's Christmas music around Thanksgiving? I, for one, have no issue with the Christmas music, I think. I could be wrong. I could be contradicting myself. I think someone might be able to find audio where I'm bashing the fact that people are listening to Christmas music. But I don't think I'm that guy. Or maybe I'm not that guy anymore. Maybe 2020 has changed my priorities of things. And changed my viewpoint on things that make people happy. Except when it comes to fantasy football, where... I get constantly barraged by fans asking me to look at their fantasy team even while I'm just eating dinner somewhere. Hey, man. Hey, what's going on? Love the show. Sticks their phone in my face. Yeah, check out my fantasy team. You know, and I'm like, hey, what do you think of this guy? I'm like, oh, I think he's a great wide receiver. It's like, well, no, 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 man. Is he going to score 16.5 points for me this week? I don't know, but I think he might do enough to help him win the game. I don't care about that. It's the worst. I hate it. 
I hate it. And I can't tell you how many times, air quote, fantasy football experts tell me how little I know about football and also other guys say, dude, this will make your radio show a lot better. People say, oh, I have the key to make your show cowherd. Here's the key. More fantasy football talk. That's what we need. That's what America needs. That's what the triad wants. And to that, I say bleep off. Anytime that I tell someone that, you know, I work here, they're like, wait, do you guys like, can I like call in and ask for like fantasy help? I'm like, sorry. You know what? He doesn't do that. You know what? Here's what I'm going to do. It is 547, 336-777-1600. If you have fantasy football questions right now for the next four minutes, I will answer them. That's what I'll do because I have the time. It's rare that we have the time. I don't even think I gave the phone number at any other point today. 336-777-1600. If you want a fantasy football question right now, I am opening the door for that for the next few minutes, and that's it. There it is. Sawyer, do you have any fantasy football questions I should start I should start uh, with? Uh, let me let me get to my roster. Okay. Yeah, um, get to your yeah, roster real quick. Uh, let's uh-huh. see. Let's see. So we, 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 are, we, you in a, are you in a PPR league or not? We're, we're in a PPR. Okay, okay. We drafted Michael Thomas. He's Half out. PPR. Gotcha. Uh, uh-huh. Do I start uh, Hunter Henry or Noah Fant? Start Hunter Henry. I think he's hurt. All right. Bad, bad, bad choice, Josh. Guys, well, don't, I mean, call. Like, don't call. Well, Noah Fant is – I mean, he's got – Who's throwing him the ball this week? Drew Locke. Yeah, no, Drew Locke's hurt. Oh no. Yeah. Oh, you're telling me who's hurt and who isn't, and I'm telling you that the guy throwing Noah Fant the football is hurt. Okay, so I don't even know who the backup quarterback of the Denver Broncos is. They signed Blake Bortles this week. Maybe it's him, which is a sad state of affairs. All right, who am I going to here? Let's go to Gus in Kernersville. Gus in Kernersville. What fantasy? What burning fantasy football question do you got for me right now? Thank you so much for taking the time and getting on. Oh, I I love it. I love nothing more. What do you got? Uh, Jared Goff or Aaron Rodgers this week? <sighs> that is a tough one, man. You're looking at, are you PPR or half PPR or no PPR? PPR. Okay, so you're talking about PPR. The Rams, I love the way they're looking. They're 2-0. and They're just cooking people right now. The Rams, they're, they're in action this weekend. Who are they? Who do they even play? I don't even know. Oh, they play the Bills. They're playing the Bills this weekend. And who did you say? Aaron Rodgers. Yep. Okay, Aaron Rodgers playing at the Saints. I probably go with the Rams because they're cooking right now, man. Give, giving the ball to Cooper Cup. I'm not worried about East Coast to West Coast or West Coast to East Coast because they, they did it last week against the Eagles. Um, I'm not worried about that Bills front. Jared Goff's playing really well right now. I probably go Jared Goff, especially if you're talking about PPR. All right, I agree. Let's let it roll. Yeah! There you go. Fantasy football talk on the drive. That's Gus. Yeah! Jared Goff's going to score more points than Aaron Rodgers. This feels so wrong. I love it. I'm so happy right now. What do you got in taking to the house today? Uh, Your trash is going to come back to haunt you. Clearly, it already has. We take it to the house next.